Welcome to Unleash. We're all being transformed every day. The big question is by who to become what? Have you ever received an invitation to something you didn't go to? Maybe it was a wedding, maybe a birthday party, a going away party, a housewarming party. I don't know, whatever it was, you were invited, but you decided something else was a higher priority to you, so you decided not to go. You could have been there, but you chose to decline the invitation in favor of something else. So the title for this episode is a question. It's a big question, and it's one that are, that many are asking, especially among the youngest generations, those that are of the Gen Z or millennials or zillennials. They want to know, do all people matter to God? They want to know if, as one expert wrote about this and expressed it, they're asking, does God care about the needs dignity, equity, and belonging of all types of people in all places. And this author notes that this question comes from a place of caring, really wanting all people to belong and to be loved by God. Because these young, this young generation is growing up in a post-Christian world, they have lots of questions um, about matters of faith, and they have a, a point of view that is very different from people of my generation. So while at the same time, it's interesting to note that this generation generally views Christians as being ignorant, intolerant, and judgmental, which naturally flows into projecting those things onto God and the Bible. So inherent to asking if all people matter to God reflects even a bias against the Christian faith, because if God is like what they've observed in some very, well, I guess I'll just generalize by saying there can be those who are Christians that are not necessarily conducting themselves in a way that would honor Jesus. And so this younger generation is seeing things that that are making them decide they want nothing to do with a God who doesn't care for those who are oppressed or rejected or are the outcasts or the outsiders of our society. So this is a big topic. I don't think I'm going to cover everything that could be addressed in 20-ish minutes, but there are three things I would like to discuss about this question of who matters to God. The first one is about uh, intolerance, people, and Christians. The second thing is about being made in God's image. And the third thing is the garden and Jesus' invitation. So we'll get back to the invitations that I opened with. But first, let's touch on the the subject of intolerance in people and of Christians. I want to keep this honest and real. We all have people that we like, 
people we embrace and want to connect with and enjoy spending time with. And we all have people we don't like to be with. We don't necessarily enjoy time with them. Maybe we don't communicate well. Maybe we don't have similar interests. There's a whole host of reasons why we like or don't like different individuals. And the reality is that humans are naturally drawn towards people that they perceive they are like. Like, In other words, we tend to hang around those with whom we feel comfortable because there's an understanding of being similar, of relating well to one another. So we all have the capacity to be cliquish, to be critical, condescending, to make snap decisions about other people, just like a superficial snap judgment and a hasty determination about the value of another person. And we can do this so easily. And it's just feels like it's such a natural thing to do that like it happens without us necessarily thinking to do it. And it is something that we've got to learn to notice that we're doing it. And then we can learn how we can begin to temper this reaction and choose to do something different. The hard truth is that even people of every culture and every generation who are seeing others and labeling them as intolerant by definition are not tolerating what's different, right? It's, it's a messy issue. I mean, think about this. It could be accurately said of everyone that we can be intolerant and particularly so of those who we perceive to be not like us. We can even assume that those who are like us are of greater value and that those who are not like us, we can even think, well, like they're against us. Like think of them as an enemy. And the sad reality is that Christians are people and can do this too. We know it's not God's best to do this. And he actually calls those who trust in him to live in a different way. But living in this different way is something that we don't easily and naturally do. And that leads us to the second thing I want to mention, which is about being made in the image of God. Well, what does that actually mean? Because we're really different from God, right? He is vast. He is all-powerful. He's all-knowing. He's like so much beyond our comprehension. So what does it mean to be made in his likeness? And I think the first thing is that we are to see others as having value because they were created by God in his image. And it's the way of Jesus to see each person as having intrinsic value, specifically because they were made by God. To acknowledge each person as bearing the image of God, and therefore each person is worthy of honor, and that's the challenge to us, right? Because we don't naturally see equal value in everyone around us or and there's some people that if we're honest we don't really assign value to at all 
every one of us can learn to do this. But it doesn't happen in an instant where we just make up our mind and suddenly assign value to everyone. In reality, it's something that happens gradually over time and only with great effort and intention, and especially if we have help from God's Spirit. So about every person, it doesn't matter their appearance or their age, their nationality or their skin color, their social standing or their level of success or failure their level of education, or the manner in which they speak, each person is uniquely made by God in his image, and for that reason, every person has value. God knows them, loves them. Nothing about them is hidden from his sight. He knows their DNA. He knows the quiet places of sorrow within. He knows all the confusing parts of their lives. Every need, heartache, wound. He even knows the very number of hairs on their head. And he has made them unique. He gave each one breath and life. And with that, he also gave each one of us the opportunity to make our own choices. I've mentioned this in previous episodes. That your soul, the, the inner you, is the real you. That is the real person. And this soul is an immortal being that's housed in a temporary body. To consider what it means to be made in the image of an eternal God, just consider these words written by C.S. Lewis. He says, The dullest, most uninteresting person you can talk to may one day be a creature which, if you saw it now, you would be strongly tempted to worship, or else a horror and a corruption such as you now meet, if at all only in a nightmare. There are no ordinary people. You have never talked to a mere mortal, but it is immortals with whom we joke with, work with, marry, snub, and exploit. Immortal horrors or everlasting splendors. So captured in his words is an acknowledgement that we are all immortal. But where we will spend eternity, that type and quality of life, it will either be brilliant glory and great joy in community, or it will be darkness separation, like an eternity in sorrowful agony. But it was never God's intention for any of the people he created. And that leads us to the third thing I wanted to talk about, which is the garden and of Jesus' invitation. So perhaps you're familiar with the story of the perfect man and the perfect woman who lived in a perfect garden and they had perfect lives. There are those today who might say that God is a concept or a construct. But these two perfect people who lived in that garden knew that he was a person, a divine person, and he was good. And these two perfect people, not only did they have all the stuff 
that we worry about going without. They also enjoyed perfect relationships with each other and even more incredibly with God. But if you know the story, you also know they were given a choice. And after some amount of time, we don't know how long, they had lived in this glorious garden and then one day they believed a tremendous lie that God was withholding something truly good from them. So they chose to do the one singular thing that God had told them, don't, because it's going to lead to death for you. They failed to trust that God's word could be trusted, which landed all of us, and first them, in this messy, messed up world we find ourselves in today, with so much conflict and brokenness, where I don't know about you, but daily I feel overwhelmed at times by the level of lies and deceit that are out in the world. But there is hope in this story because before these now imperfect people left that perfect garden, God had already made a plan and a promise. He knew that the only way for any of us to be restored to that right relationship with him had to be done for us. And so Jesus, in at just the right time, came to earth and willingly died to pay for the sins of the whole world. The Bible says he died for the sins of the whole world meaning the sins of every person, was paid in full. All people, all sins, to make a way for you and I to be restored to a right relationship with God. And Jesus extends an invitation to all today. He invites each person to come, to please come to him. He doesn't tell you to make your own way to God or to choose your own version of truth from everything, all the confusing stuff out there. You see, while people can be unkind and self-righteous and intolerant, Jesus went towards those who were hurting, those who worried they weren't enough, that they weren't worthy of acceptance. He went to those who had been rejected. He ate with them, he cared for them, and he revealed truth to them. He taught them that he was the way, the truth, and the life. That he was the one way that every person can be restored to God. That he was the truth, so they didn't have to try to discover truth for themselves. And that in him was true, full, everlasting life. And he makes that available by invitation to all who are willing to humble themselves, to admit their wrong, their fault, their guilt, their shame to Jesus. At the very beginning, I mentioned about the invitations we receive. We make choices about which ones we will accept and which things we prefer something else instead. And it's really the same way with Jesus. He has made a way for every single person. 
And God cares about every single person. And when Jesus invites, he says, if anyone would come, he has invited you, but will you come to him? There are some destinations that allow for many routes to all arrive at the same place. But there are other destinations where there is only one route to arrive safely. I was recently reading about the early expeditions to Mount Everest and how there were many climbers who tried various paths and means to reach the summit, and they actually perished. And if a destination only has one way to safely arrive, is it unloving to tell people that? Well, of course not, right? And so Jesus, being infinite in his love, told us there is one way to eternal life through him. To tell me what is true is not unloving. Unfortunately, people who say they follow Jesus have at times been very unloving in many ways. They can act very exclusive and they can be intolerant of travelers who are searching for God. People who are longing to be safe but are confused about what is true. But the way of Jesus is a way of love that speaks truth in love. It's just not love um, generically, but it is love combined with what is true. Do you know the story of the other garden that's very famous? It took place in the Garden of Gethsemane. It was the night before Jesus was crucified, and he went to this garden, and he, he prayed. He cried out to his heavenly Father under such intense stress that as he cried to God, he literally sweat drops of blood, saying, If there is any other way, let this pass. We read that three times he prayed this same prayer, crying out to God, let this pass from me if there is any other way. But God's voice remained silent because there is no other way. And so Jesus, in the extravagance of his love, proved by going to the cross to make a way for you and for me and for everyone who would come to him. He stands at the door of your life, knocking, extending his invitation for you to come. So if you've ever wondered, do all lives matter to God? Do all people matter to God? The answer is a resounding yes. And to the extent of just how much all people matter to him is evidenced in Jesus' willingness to die for us so that we can live in him and with him for eternity. The first followers of Jesus, the ones who had walked with him for three years and knew him well, saw how he lived, heard him teach. Like, you know, you really know what someone's like when you live with them and you kind of do life with them. You can see when their words match their life. 
that matters, right? So these who walked with him, who saw that his words and his life matched. After he died and rose again and then ascended into heaven, these followers went out into a public square to testify of this truth, that everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. So catch that anyone who would come, all who call. So whoever you are, wherever you live, whatever you're going through, Jesus cares about you. And he is saying, come, please come. Where else can you go to find life? And if you're listening and wondering, what now? If you don't know where to turn, if you don't have somebody trusted that you can turn to in your life or reach out and ask questions, then I invite you, message me on social media, go to my website and shoot me an email because I would love to encourage you because your life matters to God. So until next time.